Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatt rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Fight fans to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Sean Basso, shortly to be joined by Johnston Brown for this Career Profiles episode, and you have voted for the baddest man on the planet, Iron Mike Tyson, as the next instalment of Career Profiles. Before we get into the episode and talk about Mike Tyson's career, please go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and please leave us a rating and a review because it really, really helps us get up Apple Podcast podcasting charts, allows people to see us, allows people to get exposed to what we're doing. And you can also find us on Podbean, on Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify and Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel. So let's go into this episode. This, as voted for by you, is the career profile of the baddest man on the planet, Iron Mike Tyson. When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. So this is the next instalment of the Career Profile series and it's been voted for by you. It's Mike Tyson. He was voted for in a poll from heavyweight fighters from different areas including Rocky Marciano, George Foreman, Sonny Liston as well. So we decided to put these four in because they were heavyweight fighters from different eras we wanted to mix it up we wanted to do a different era and my word did it cause a stir on social media when we left our ernie shavers so we decided that we wanted to put a foreman in there we felt foreman was one of the other heavyweights from that golden era of the 70s that justified going in there as a heavy hitter 
Ernie Shavers will get his own career profile at some point down the line, so not to worry, friends. We'll get that one out to you at some point as this series runs along. So, we've got the baddest man on the planet to talk about today, and another great heavyweight to be discussing his career on. And my word, there's so many bits of information, so many facts, so many figures, so many stories. You know, this is going to be an epic one to do, and I'm really, really looking forward to doing Tyson because he's one of my favourite fighters growing up. Really enjoyed watching his ferociousness, his ability to cause controversy inside and outside of the ring one of the greatest fighters one of them arguably one of the greatest heavyweights it's a very subjective conversation to have but Tyson Johnston this is Mike Tyson the baddest man on the planet the guy that bites off ears the guy that gets put in prison the guy that tells people he's going to fuck him until he loves him what a one to go on (laughs) oh dear I am Mike Tyson one of the most ferocious and terrifying fighters to ever grace a boxing ring Uh, he was just as terrified as he was inside the ring as he was outside of it um, and uh, arguably one of the greatest heavyweights ever lived. Um, people obviously will make claim that he is. Um, possibly, who knows? Who knows? A peak Mike Tyson against a Muhammad Ali or or a Stanley Liston or or you know whoever you want to stick him in the ring with, he's, he's going to give it a good go. And the chances are he could well knock him out. Um, so what? What a great fighter! I mean, he was just he was an animal, wasn't he? Yeah, he literally beat his opponents to the point where you know. They just could continue. Um, and he was just one of the best heavyweights to ever grace a boxing ring and a, a great career profile to be discussing. Certainly is. So let's start at the beginning. His earlier life. Born Michael Gerard Tyson. He was born on June the 30th, 1966 in Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. He's got an elder brother named Rodney who was born in 1961. And he's also got an elder sister named Denise who unfortunately died of a heart attack at the age of 24 in February 1990. And Tyson's biological father is listed as Purcell Tyson who was originally from Jamaica on his birth certificate. But the man Tyson actually knew growing up as his father was Jimmy Kirkpatrick who was from Greertown, North Carolina. He was one of the neighbourhood's top baseball players as well and he'd married previously and had a son Tyson's half-brother Jimmy Lee Kirkpatrick who would basically help integrate the the Charlotte High School football in 1965. Uh, In 1959 Kirkpatrick left his family to move to Brooklyn where he met Tyson's mother Lorna May who was previously known as Lorna May Smith aka Lorna May Tyson. Kirkpatrick frequently visited pool halls he was is a gambler he hung out on the streets tyson spoke about him later on down the line and he was quoted as saying my father was just a regular street guy caught up in the street world one of the most storied parts of tyson's career before he ever entered a boxing gym or a boxing ring was his very harsh upbringing my word he had it very very hard he did he had it very hard he was you know being brought up in in Brandsville, which was uh, the borough, was known to be one of the toughest neighbourhoods around at the time. It was, you know, the ghetto. Um, it was a, and he, he was witnessing all sorts on the streets. I mean, he even said himself that you know when he was knocking around as a, as a youngster, that you know he uh, he was involved in sort of muggings and stuff like that, and uh, God knows whatever else. But 
you know, one, one particular story when he mentioned how uh, when he would actually describe how he would mug someone and how they would walk past him and they know that he's going to mug them but they weren't sure and then he would he would eventually mug them and he used to feel like he outwitted them <laughs> in terms of thinking that they think that he's gone and maybe he won't and then he would and uh, he actually quite enjoyed it which is he enjoyed outwitting the, the victims, which is, is actually quite terrifying to think of, really. Um, even even at a young age, uh, in his teens, um, if not even probably younger. But you know, it's a tough, tough area, uh, and it was it was littered with crime, and it was inevitable that eventually, you know, he's going to dabble in it. You know, that's that's how it works. That's how it works. How the, how the world works. And you know, unfortunately for Mike, he was born in a in a in a tough place, and and he had to grow up being tough. Uh, and he obviously took that all the way through in his career. But yeah, I mean, he had, he had a love for pigeons. That was the one thing that he did have. That was his tender side, if you like, where he would keep pigeons and uh, that was that was something he enjoyed doing. Um, and, and he dabbled in petty crime all, all the way up until he was sort of 12 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was his life. Um, and then and basically, he he, uh, he managed to, to get himself into boxing um, as a boy. Um, and, he, you know, he, he was... It was pretty big. I mean, at 13 years old, he was a heavyweight that was tipping the scales at 200 pounds. And at 13 years old, so that just shows you how much muscle Mike Tyson had. And, and he was introduced to Customato, um, who obviously, as we, as we all know, Customato was the guy that steered for Patterson. He was the guy that became the youngest heavyweight champion in his era. And later on, we'll discuss that, you know, he also managed, although he passed, but Mike Tyson went on to also become the youngest heavyweight champion. So, Interesting. I mean, I mean, Customato. He, he was around in the Bronx, and he will also had a bit of a troubled upbringing, and he was fighting on the street. So he obviously sees something in Mike Tyson, and um, he took him under his wing. Um, he see him as a potential heavyweight champion of the world, and he weren't wrong. No, it was something that he always uh, said to him that you will go on to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And it's very well documented in, in interviews that Titans mentioned about his relationship with Customato. But obviously, Custer took him on knowing that he was on his own. His mother passed away when he was 16 years of age. So Costa took him on as his boxing trainer and his manager and his mentor and his friend and the person that he helped bring him to the forefront of, of where he was as a man. Because obviously, as we talked about, he had it tough growing up. The guy, you know, obviously was abnormally different looking for, for a guy of his age, for a kid of his age. And the fact that he had that lisp as well, that people obviously mock in this day and age, and he even mocks himself in this day and age as well. But back then, he was getting bullied for it, basically. And his first fight that he was ever actually involved in was with a bigger youth, because, as you said about his pigeon and his love for pigeons, this youth had basically ripped the head off a pigeon, so Tyson didn't take too kindly to that, so he basically went over and smashed the shit out of this other kid, and that was actually the first ever fight he was involved in. And it's mental to think some of these little intricate details about his career, you know, come out in episodes like this because you know these were things that i knew about tyson i knew things about him i knew stories about him i've read books on tyson but it's some of the details that you can't always find out about stories about tyson's pigeons getting one of the pigeons getting the head ripped off and him battering this youth it was a bit it was a bit crazy to really read up on but obviously his his, his life didn't really start off very well on the outset but when he met customato that was different customato was the one that nurtured him up until his untimely demise as well you know with with Cuss he he was the father figure that he never had Tyson that was something he was he was very very evident of when he spoke about him in various interviews but as he was as he was growing up he was actually boxing 
in schools at first and his emerging boxing ability was actually discovered there by Bobby Stewart uh, who was a juvenile detention centre counsellor and a former boxer himself and he considered him to be an outstanding Mm. fighter and he actually trained him for a few months before he introduced him to Costamato and then it was when he introduced him to Costamato that Tyson ended up dropping out of high school as a junior and what Tyson then went on to end up doing is training with Costamato and then eventually going on to obviously Teddy Atlas there's a story of the the Teddy Atlas story is a pretty good one which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on in a few moments but obviously that that relationship he had was so significant for what was going to be evident later on down the line he didn't have a lot of paternal guidance he had people that were coming and going his mother passing away Customato passing away and you know as we touch on a little bit later on down the line about getting involved with the wrong types of people you know he would go on to be not just this scary looking scary looking very built like a brick shit house kid he was also mentally very vulnerable as well yeah he was because he was so young you know he wasn't very well educated um and you know he had a, you know he'd been brought up in a life of crime so you know for him that was that was the route he was going down and obviously when when Demato did take him under his wing and then obviously Tyson's mother passed he then became his legal guardian and the first thing that Demato did was take him to his house and get out of the city um and and he lived under his roof as well as being his his legal guardian and also his trainer as you say he was a big mentor he took him under his wing um and, and tyson for the first time in his life he experienced stability um and it was a structured existence for the first time in his life um and basically had the, the, the desired effect of uh curbing that you know his his antics sort of on the street um, although at times he was allowed to go in, in the weekends, because obviously he had brothers and sisters, he had friends, so he would, you know, he'd go back to the city. Um, and there would be times when uh, uh, Customato and Jose Torres, who was another guy that Cust trained um, and, and was involved with, with, with the camp, who wasn't necessarily a trainer, but he was a. Also, he would he would help Tyson, um, and they would literally drive the streets for a couple of little, a few hours or a day or two. Sometimes they'd find him, sometimes they wouldn't. But, you know, one thing with Tyson, he, he, he apparently had an eye for the ladies as well. So he, he used to enjoy going back to the city and knocking about with his pals and, and chasing skirt, basically. That was what Tyson was doing and probably getting involved in God knows what else. But, um, you know, it was good for Tyson. I mean, even even when Tyson sort of later on, sort of, I say later on, he wasn't completely the end of his career, but there was one thing that he did say that I picked up on and it was saying that living with Cus... Um, Basically, he didn't. That, that, that value for money was something that Cuss had taught him, he, and he did say to him that you know money is a force of security, and basically don't put everything, all your trust into it. Um, it basically helps you to get out a lot of problems, and but don't rely on it and be independent. And the main goal is to be your own man and be independent. And then once you've got your family, um, you're no longer the main person your family comes first and regardless of the situation your career doesn't come before your family your family comes first so he was teaching the values of, of money um, and but you know i think with cuss because he he sort of died so quickly you know he, he died what was it it was it was in uh, uh 85 i believe with 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 pneumonia he just although he was able to nurture tyson as a fighter i think he was hoping that he would be able to nurture him also as a person, because he was also, he was trying to teach him something he had never been taught before. And it's difficult because you, you're, you're picking up a kid in his teens who's been through a lot. How do you manage to, you know, can you, is the intervention too late? And, I, and maybe with Cuss dying so soon, he was able to, to show him the values of money and what money was about, which obviously we'll later go on to, to, to explain. But, you know, it was, he, he, he was a great influence 
on on Tyson, um, as well as the, the the management team that he eventually put together with Bill Clayton and Jim Jacobs. So going back to that Teddy Atlas story, then it was an interesting story that obviously Teddy Atlas has spoke about in great detail. So when Teddy Atlas was an assistant to Costamato, he, he also trained previously as an amateur, amateur boxer with Costamato as well. He had some amateur fights with him, but he ended up dismissing his career because of a back injury so he, he goes on to be a trainer and assistant to tomorrow so when he was there for which was only a short period of time he, he insisted in the training of obviously the teenage protege which was mike tyson now at the time mike tyson was a 15 year old you know hormones through the roof we're never going to know what really really happened but apparently there was an altercation in which an 11 year old relative of teddy atlas was inappropriately grabbed by mike tyson and as a result of that teddy atlas put a 38 caliber handgun to tyson's ear and told him to never touch his family again or he would kill him if he did that altercation has been confirmed by both atlas and tyson in various interviews and as a result he was dismissed from the camp and ended up going off to be a trainer in his own right. So that was an absolutely mental story. When I listened back to Teddy Atlas speak about that story, it was like, wow, you know, I knew Teddy Atlas was a bit eccentric as a character, but I never really knew he was he was this crazy, to be honest with you, that, you know, he was he basically went and, and put a gun to Tyson's head, and this is the 15-year-old Tyson, and as you were saying, he was an absolute animal. He was a beast at 15, you know. He probably would have absolutely annihilated Teddy Atlas, who wasn't really any sort of amateur boxer himself he didn't really achieve as much in his amateur boxing career so you know Tyson at that age would have absolutely annihilated him but with a 38 caliber guns in your head you're not really going to do much in in that sense so as a result of that Atlas was dismissed from the camp and obviously you know Customato was his trainer alongside Kevin Rooney who was also helping out in camp at the time but as an amateur then Mike Tyson he won gold medals at the 1981 and 1982 junior Olympic Games defeating Joe Cortez in 1981 and Kelton Brown in 1982 so that was the start of his amateur career also, he went to try and go to the 1984 Olympics. Now, if anybody doesn't know about the 1984 American Olympic boxing team, I would highly recommend you go on to Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats website and check out the Dream Team articles about that particular era and about that particular American team. Tyson wanted to go on that team, but eventually lost out to Henry Tillman, who he got beat off twice as an amateur, losing both belts by a decision. So that was actually a significant part of his career because Tyson would go on to do even greater things in the sport than Henry Tillman would but Henry Tillman was the one that went to the Olympics strangely enough so that was Tyson's sort of short but sweet amateur career and because of how good he was they wanted to turn him pro yeah they uh, and he did he, he turned professional the following year uh, 19 years old and he and he stormed his way through the heavyweight heavyweight ranks um you know he, he was he was just a an animal, basically. He shot through everybody in sort of more or less the first round. I think there was one fight, which was the Larry Sims fight, where it went three rounds. But other than that, he literally blasted everybody out all the way up until uh, he fought James Tillis. But, you know, during that time, obviously, uh, Cust had passed away. So he, he was he only ever got to see him, I think it was up to the Sterling Benjamin fight when he knocked him out in the first round, which was uh, Mike Tyson's 11th win. 
and that was when Cuss died. But thankfully, with with Cuss, he had he had obviously brought in, as as I mentioned earlier, with, uh, with Jim Jacobs and Bill Clayton, who were um, you know that they were successful in advertising. Um, and I think Jim Jacobs was a, was an ex handball champion, but they were close friends of, of Cuss's, um, and they established a company called the Big Fight. Um, and if I remember rightly, I think a lot of their old fight films are actually on YouTube. I think there's a lot of them on YouTube. But it was where Tyson picked up. Um, you know, he he would watch the old reels of the old fights, um, and that was where he had he found a love for boxing history as well. Mike Tyson in his early days, um, I'm, I'm I'm sure he probably still does. So he had some old footage that Cuss had, and Bill Clayton and. And Jim Jacobs, and, and that was where he got the idea as well in those films to uh, in, in it to come out in, in the old the old fashioned black robe and just the black shorts. Um, you know, you think about the eighties. Yeah, the eighties was known to be quite colourful, and uh, you know, it was it was good on the eye, wasn't it? In terms of what people wear, they'd, they'd wear all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, all the tassels and everything else. But Tyson, were, you know, he liked the old school stuff, and and he liked the way the old school fighters fought, and that was what he tried to adopt with head low and good head movement and try and blast people out and that's where he got the idea to have the old black shorts yeah so he started his career relatively successful of course you know 1985 consisted of literally a fight nearly every single month of the year which was again we spoke about this a few weeks ago in one of the legendary nights episodes you don't really see a lot of fighters fighting that many times in the first year uh, of, of the pro career especially in this day and age but obviously tyson absolutely ridiculous when he fought in 1985 you know the amount of fights he was involved in and they were all quick fire fights so that was the thing because he was knocking people out for fun it was easy for him just to get back in the ring really quickly because he'd hardly broke a sweat beating half of these guys that he was in the ring with so the first year as a pro great success obviously cuss died massive effects on him going into to 1986 was really where we started to see him come to the forefront of of the heavyweight division really so he starts to get in there in his first televised fight against jesse ferguson tyson's making a mistake by letting himself get this close to ferguson he must maintain a little bit of distance so that he's going he's going to take a point he's disqualifying him he disqualified jesse ferguson for flinching and refusing to break when ordered he had warned him earlier in this round jesse ferguson refused to break the referee louis rivera disqualified him and ironically, that breaks Mike Tyson's KO string. That will go down in the books as a win disqualification. It will not be his 18th straight knockout. One of the dubious distinctions of the year. Jesse Ferguson becomes the first of Mike Tyson's 18 professional opponents not to suffer a knockout. And he did it by almost forcing the referee, Luis Rivera, to disqualify him. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Beats Jesse Ferguson. And then as you say, fights James Quicktillis in May 1986. And he was the first person to take... Tyson the distance and then we get to one of your good old favourite opponents of Mike Tyson's Mitch Green and the story of Mitch Green tell it again oh Mitch Green he's just an absolutely awesome character I do love Mitch Um, he's off his head he's he's eccentric as you like but um, but yeah Mitch Green um, the the problem always stemmed from the fact that Mike Tyson reportedly received $250,000 for their fight whereas Green only made $30,000 and it was actually at the weigh-in the day before uh, of the bout that Green threatened to put out of the fight, wanting more money. He, um, and, and, he, and he basically never let go of it his whole entire life. Um, so in the end, um, basically, obviously, the fight went on. Um, and Mitch Blood Green um, was always partial to a bit of... Uh, oh, God God knows what he was smoking. He was always smoking some sort of... All sorts. Um, and yes, and it, later on in his career, there was an altercation with... Uh, with um, uh, Mike Tyson in, in Dapper Dan's clothing store where Mike Tyson knocked him out which was actually before Frank Bruno fight which we'll probably move on to sooner or later but and that was where he broke his hand by punching Mitch Green um, who, who basically confronted him in the shop um, and he got literally sparked out he had a massive shiner and it was printed all over the press in New York uh, in front of every newspaper the next day you know Mike Tyson actually broke his hand he had to postpone the fight with Bruno but Mitch would never let it go and he was uh, yeah he's a colourful character I can't find anyone you know have a look at the fight I mean he's, he's a, he takes Tyson a distance as his claim to fame but just Mitch Green in general with his, uh, his eccentric self and some of his bizarre bizarre videos uh, that you can find on YouTube of, of Mitch Green but colourful character and uh one I just always find it really funny and, and engrossing, basically. But, but yeah, Tyson went the distance for the second time after Tillis against Mitch Green. So then he moves on in his career, and in 1986 he actually contested in 12 bouts before he moved on to fight for his first world title. But in the midst of them bouts, he fought the son of the legendary Joe Fraser, Marvis Fraser. In the midst of that, so he beat Marvis Fraser quite handily, and then he beat Jose Ribalta and Alfonso, Ran- Alfonso Ratliff before getting his shot at the world heavyweight crown the WBC title at the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas against Trevor Burbick making his second appearance on the career profile series obviously we spoke about Trevor beating Muhammad Ali in his final fight of his career and what was a sad affair but Trevor Burbick in 1986 was the WBC heavyweight champion of the world and Mike Tyson went in there and absolutely blew him away to become the youngest ever heavyweight champion at just the age of 20 years old 20 years old Mike Tyson on his way to becoming one of the youngest heavyweight champions of all time bangs the body wow with that up and down is Tyson catches him with a leg left hook and he goes down he goes down he should be able to get up from this his legs may be shut they are as Trevor Burbick falls back in the rope I don't know if he's going to be able to continue he's got the heart but his body won't let him do what his mind wants to and he's counted out It'll be scored as a knockout. Mills Lane counted him out to 10. It's all over. We've got a brand new heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. Yeah, he was destructive, wasn't he? Against Trevor Burbeck, who is kind of famous, obviously, beating Muhammad Ali. But, you know, 
an aged Ali, um, and then he, he, he had the title and obviously went on to uh, fight Tyson, and, and he got absolutely just wasted in two rounds, and it was it was just a ferocious, ferocious beating from Tyson, and, and boy, did it did it make him, uh, if, if he wasn't already, he was potentially going to be a superstar, but at this point, it's just made him absolute superstar, and this obviously was a part of the, the heavyweight undisputed series, which was produced by HBO, and also by Don King, so um, he, he was also, that was the first step uh, which was the WBC title before moving on against James Smith, who uh, and he won the WBA title, unified the division there. Um, also, obviously, a part of that series. Smith had actually beaten Tim Witherspoon in 1986, who had also beaten Frank Bruno in the summer of 86. So that was Bruno's second attempt at a world title. And once again, Mike Tyson, um, although it went the 12-round distance, it was a pretty one-sided affair. And, and James Smith, he showed glimpses that actually maybe Tyson could get, you could get to him. And, and you know, but, you know, it was more about just lasting a distance than any did that. But obviously at that point, Mike Tyson then become the WBA and WBC heavyweight champion. He did. Now, if you've not already heard the interview conducted with James Bonecrusher Smith for the life and times of, go and check it out on the feed because it is there. And I did a little bit of a sit-down with him for about 45 minutes to around an hour about his career, about him winning his world heavyweight title and also about his fight with Mike Tyson of course. So if you want to go and hear a little bit more about the fight with Mike Tyson go and listen to that particular episode it's the life and times of James Bonecrusher Smith. So, moving on he then defends the WBC WBA titles against Pinkland Thomas and then he picks up the IBF to add to that crown by beating Tony Tucker who was 34-0 at the time in 1987 in Las Vegas Vegas before going on to defend it against Tyrell Biggs and then a significant moment in his career beating Larry Holmes in 1988 defending the three titles again and it was this story that we've spoke about before on the Legendary Night series when we've covered the Tyson and Douglas fight off when we've spoke about that particular era of time when Tyson was in we spoke about the fact that the Larry Holmes fight was significant because of how much he looked up to Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali it was in the ring before that fight literally took place and was rumoured to have said to him go and get him for me what happened I was very lucky to win Larry was pretty old at that time like Holmes like Ali was old when he fought Holmes yeah he was pretty old and 38 and I was 20 mm-hmm. and I won and what did Muhammad Ali say to you well he said get him for me yeah get him for me and that was something that always sticks out in my mind as uh, something Tyson spoke about in various interviews. And for me, the win over Larry Holmes was significant because although Larry Holmes was probably past his best at this point, having fought 50 times and lost twice, he was still a guy to, to be reckoned with. He's still a guy that had respect, that had commanded respect because of what he'd previously done in the heavyweight division. So for Tyson then to go in there and dispatch of Larry Holmes was another fantastic win on his record. But most significantly, the whole Ali being in the ring and saying what he said was a quite a, a big significant thing for me in Tyson's career. Yeah, Lee, I mean, that must have been amazing for Mike Tyson being a, you know, looking at Ali as one of his heroes, his idols. Um, so for him to, to, to say, you know, to, to do that to Larry, who was obviously an old star in part of Mohammed, it was interesting, uh, but a great, I mean, that must have been brilliant. And he actually did, he went in there and battered him for four rounds. Um, Holmes had no chance in hell. But, um, I mean, just, just before that as well, I mean, Jacobs had died of leukemia in 1988 as well. So this was sort of the sign of the problems beginning to emerge in Mike Tyson's career following the Holmes fight. Um, obviously, in the audience with that victory over Holmes as well, you had supermodels around, you had Naomi Campbell, and uh, there was also... Um, 
an actress in the crowd called Robin Givens, um, who two weeks later, Tyson and Givens were married. So um, this is where his life started to to, to make to take a drastic turn. We've obviously Demato now gone, and and Jacobs passed away. It left Bill Clayton as, as his manager, and obviously Adam Rooney, who was also massively influential in Tyson's career. Um, and then this is where the old Don King started to sniff around and a little scheming promoter who um, was absolutely terrible for Mike Tyson. He was a, he was a horrible, horrible person. Let's be honest. What, what he did was just shocking. Um, I know it is, you know, he probably had just as much of, you know, information on Mike Tyson and what he got up to as, as what Tyson had on him. But the, the one thing is he, he was just trying to, to, to force his way in after this Larry Holmes fight. Robin Givens, obviously now a part of Tyson, you know, she, she's married to him. So she, she felt that she had a right now to take control of his career. So you had Robin Givens and her mother on one side, you had Don King on the other, and then you had the last remaining of of, of that, that sort of dream team, or the last two, which was Bill Clayton and, and Adam Rooney. And, and Clayton, in actual fact, Donald Trump ended up getting involved in this, which is really crazy. And, and Donald Trump was trying to take guide, trying to guide Tyson, apparently, to, to make money and, and how he could guide his career and, but that was someone that Don King had pulled in. So, you know, Don King was trying to pull in people with influence. Everybody's now wanting the Tyson money. They're starting to put these little ideas into Tyson's head as, as that Bill Clayton's taking money from him. And it was looked into by accountants and lawyers. And, and nobody ever, ever said Bill Clayton ever did anything wrong. But in the end, um, Don King was just muffing his way in. Although Bill Clayton did, did still remain his manager, Tyson was calling the shots. And, and there's a dreadful interview as well where he's, he's speaking to the cameras and he's sort of saying how he would never have known this was happening to him if it wasn't for his beautiful wife and her mother. And, oh, and she's there laughing and smiling. It was just so bad and fake. And you could just see that Mike Tyson is blatantly just being completely robbed for all of his money that he's earning. And, and in his head, he actually believes that what he did is the right thing, which wasn't and and it was just sad it's actually quite sad to see watching back on some of the footage sort of in the past few days but Tyson's life was at this point was starting to turn for the bad yeah it certainly was uh but during this period of time as well his notoriety and his fame actually came to the attention of well-known gaming company of the 80s Nintendo after witnessing one of Tyson's mm. fights Nintendo's uh, American president decided that they were so impressed by his power and his skill they decided that they wanted him to be included in an upcoming game which was called Punch-Out so if anybody ever remembers Punch-Out from the 1980s uh, yeah it was it was absolutely fantastic at the time looking back on it now it's a shower of shit compared to obviously what we get in this day and age but that was the big hit at the time which actually sold over a million copies so Mike Tyson's <laughs> punch out was also brought out around that period of time in 1987 and then obviously he beat Larry Holmes as we were speaking about earlier uh, and then he went on to beat Tony Tubbs in Tokyo Japan easy second round TKO and it was then in June of 1988 where we got the biggest fight of his career and what some may say is arguably the highest point of Mike Tyson's career the Michael Spinks fight so this was a huge huge fight it was billed as a super fight. It was a battle of wills. It was Michael Spinks, who was undefeated at the time, who apparently had more of a legitimate claim to being the true heavyweight champion than what Mike Tyson did, even though Mike Tyson was the WBC, WBA and IBF champion at the time. So he was the undisputed champion of the heavyweight scene. But 
Michael Spinks had a claim to it as well. So Michael Spinks, you will maybe remember Michael Spinks' previous outings before he moved up to the heavyweight division. He was actually a very, very well-established and great light heavyweight champion in the early 80s. But when he moved up to the heavyweight division... He actually beat Larry Holmes for the IBF title and then beat him a second time in 1986. And then for a third time, he went on to defend the title against Stefan Tangstad in 1986, beating him, but then opted in 1987 to fight Jerry Cooney and as a result of that was stripped of his IBF title. So he'd never actually lost his title in the ring. So there was this claim at the time going around that actually Spinks had a better claim than Tyson did. Uh, because he was also declared as the lineal champion, whatever that may mean to people in this day and age, he was also declared as that as well. So this fight was obviously a lot bigger, and it was like comparing fights to sort of this magnitude of this day and age, it was probably as big as what Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather was built up to be. This was a huge fight, an absolutely huge fight with so much riding on it and as I said earlier for me and for a lot of people a lot of journalists and a lot of people that love the boxing this was the pinnacle of Tyson's career and he went in there and he destroyed Michael Spinks within 91 seconds of the first round and Michael Spinks looked like a shitting dog in the middle of the ring as Tyson was walking down to it. This was the epitomisation of the fear factor before Tyson had even stepped in the ring looking at the face of Michael Spinks. God, yeah, Michael Spinks, that is a picture. That face of him, he just looked absolutely petrified, didn't he? He was beaten before he even stepped in that ring and then when Tyson got in the ring, I think he just realised, wow, what the hell am I? Am I getting myself into here? And as you say, Michael Spinks was, you know, he was well known light heavyweight. Um, and, he, you know, he was he, he was a big name. As you say, he hadn't lost that IBF title. He had he'd vacated it to fight um, uh, Cooney. So it was interesting. It was a massive fight. It was the biggest fight of boxing at the time. And as you say, it was massive. It was a huge fight. Um, and, you know, it was built once and for all. Uh, 700,000 pay-per-view buys um, on the networks. Um, and 800,000 buyers on the closed circuit theatre TV, which generated a revenue of 32 million, which is the equivalent of 67 million 790,000 in, in today's market. So big money, but yeah, it, it lasted 95 seconds. The right hand lands to the head of Mike Spinks. It's Tyson all the way here in round number one. Vicious shots to the body. Nothing really heavy landing yet, but he's taking them. The uppercut. Body shot, down goes Mike Spinks for the first time. The count is up to four and five and six and seven and eight. That was a body shot that took him down. Here comes Mike Spinks in. He leaves with the right hand. Down he goes. I don't think you'll get up from this. Mike Spinks is laying flat on his back. The count is up to five and six and seven and eight. He won't be able to do it. It's all over. Mike Tyson has won it. Spinks almost fell back throw. A dramatic first round knockout for Mike Tyson. Unbelievable strike. Which uh, it was unbelievable, really, that, that he got him got rid of him so quickly. As I say, I think I don't think Spinks was. Um, I don't think he quite fancied it to be honest. Um, but this is also the time in June of that year when uh, when uh, his wife. Robin came out and, and said that she had uh, Tyson basically was losing his mind and, and he had beat her up. And um, it was when Tyson always says uh, that anyone with a grain of sense would know that if I punch my wife, wife I will rip her head off. Um, it's all lies. 
I never laid a finger on her. But it was quite ironic that this was the time when she was in a position where she could now take half if she leaves. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was no prenuptial signed at this point. So, uh, so Robin, she left with her mother. Um, and that was after the Sphinx fight. And who was he left with? None other than Don King by his side. And that was all that he had to try and uh, to, to continue in his career. Um, obviously, moving on after the Sphinx fight was Frank Bernardo. Yeah, well, it's interesting you talk about Don King uh, was the one that he was left with. Obviously, in late 1988, he actually parted ways with manager Bill Caton and fired his longtime trainer, Kevin Rooney. So Kevin Rooney was there for, from day dot, really. Uh, you know, he was working alongside Customato, but then took over full-time training when Customato passed away. So Kevin Rooney's been there from day one, and all the shit that's going on in Tyson's mind at this time, you know, he doesn't know who the right people are, clearly. Don King seems to be selling him this American dream, and he gets rid of the two people that were probably the most loyal to him as part of his camp. And then as a result of that, then goes in to this sort of little bit this is where the downward spiral starts to come you know in his boxing career as well as his outside personal life as well you spoke about Robin Givens there and 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 what she was like outside of the ring you know for all intents purposes she was a money grabbing bitch and we all knew it and I think people that probably would have observed it from the outside in the 80s would have thought exactly the same that it wasn't genuine, she was only ever in it for the money, she was what was known as a gold digger and she certainly got her bloody gold off Tyson and in terms of his boxing career we've covered the Mike Mike Tyson Frank Bruno fight in the Legendary Nights episode of Tyson vs Douglas so I don't want to touch too much into that because of obviously how much other significant things that have happened inside and outside the ring with Mike Tyson so obviously as we know he beat Frank Bruno in what was a really good little contest in 1989 and then went on to knock out Carl the Truth Williams in the first round in July of 1989 before we get to the next big significant fight in his career and we are live inside Korakuen Stadium in Tokyo Japan as HBO Sports presents World Championship Boxing. Tonight, undisputed heavyweight champion Mike Tyson's 10th title defense against the challenger James Buster Douglas. It is scheduled for 12 rounds. Probably the most significant fight of his career. Now, this is, it it sort of pains me to say it, to be honest, because for everything Tyson did leading up to this particular fight with James Buster Douglas, you know, he was known as the most ferocious fighter on the planet. People were talking about him as the greatest heavyweight that has ever lived, even past Ali. And that was a very, very bold statement to be making. And some people still even debate the hell out of it today. But the James Buster Douglas fight was, I, I feel that a lot of what people remember Tyson for from the casual audience is losing to Buster Douglas, losing his shit outside of the ring and getting robbed of a load of money. And that is really, really sad to think about. That's how the perception of some people are with Mike Tyson. Boxing fans, real boxing fans, look at Mike Tyson as what he was leading up to the James Buster Douglas fight where he was at his ferocious best where he, people will theorise or fantasise how he could go on to beat someone like Muhammad Ali but the James Buster Douglas fight obviously everything in the lead up to that as we've discussed in that Legendary Nights episode the preparation wasn't great the preparation was poor and it was 
a writing on the wall situation really i think if we would have had social media in 1990 and we would have been able to get all these leaked footage of training and leaked footage of this and leaked footage of that you probably would have seen how shit the preparations really really were and i don't think us trying to describe that does it any sort of justice given how bad the preparations were for him inside and outside of the ring but as history tells us the biggest boxing upset in history was when James Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson in Tokyo to dethrone him of the WBC, WBA and RBF World Heavyweight titles. Buster's legs actually look fresher to me. See Mike the way he went back in his heels, doesn't have the good balance, his legs together as Buster's landing these... Oh, nice uppercut by Buster Douglas! Look at this! He's knocked Mike Tyson down for the first time in his career! Tyson hits the canvas. He's in big trouble. He may not be able to recover. It's up to seven and eight. He's not going to make it. Unbelievable. 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 Buster Douglas is the new heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah, it was, it was a huge moment in, in Tyson's career. Um, and, you know, he, he had lost that. You know the ability to. You know, I think it's a, still young, and he still had a lot of potential, and he still had a lot to learn. And sort of getting rid of Rooney was was a bad mistake, um, because I believe that if he was around in the corner, he could have just continued, and who knows what he could have gone on to do. But yeah, it was it was a, a shock victory. Um, Douglas then obviously went on to lose to to Evander Holyfield as well. Um, so Tyson was sort of in a situation where now, now that's the big fight where. Uh, you know, Holyfield holds the titles, um, and Tyson's now become the contender. Uh, but you know, he was still in those. He was just in trouble times. You know, he would. It was around bad people. He had. A, he didn't have a good guy next to him in Don King. Um, he was just always in it just for the money. Saying that, you know, he still went on. Fought Henry Tillman, the guy we mentioned earlier, who beat him twice in the amateurs. Um, beat Tillman in, in just the first round. Uh, also defeat Alex Stewart in the first round as well. Before he had the two fights with, with Donovan Ruddock, um, Razor Ruddock. Uh, and you know, he TKO'd him in the seventh. Um, that was also Builder's Fight of the Year. Had, again, loads, of, you know, it was 960,000 pay per view buys on the King uh, Network King Vision. So King was raking it in still, even after the Buster Douglas fight with the potential fight with Evander Holyfield, which was what everybody wanted. Um, and then obviously he fought Ruddock again. Uh, this time it was even more on the pay-per-view front. It was 1,250,000 pay-per-view buys, also on the net, uh, the King Vision Network. Um, Builders a rematch. And then um, this is where his life was already spiralling out of control, went into the deepest of deepest holes. And, and quite possibly, you know, it, it not only stopped Tyson in his tracks for, for the next two years or six years, whatever it was he went in for. Basically, it was four years he served, but it was just, you know, it, it was chaos. I mean, it, whether he did it or not, in terms of the rape, I mean, he's come out, re- I say recently, he came out on his documentary before and said that, you know, he's promiscuous and he didn't treat women too well, but he didn't touch this woman. And it's sort of, you, you know, at the end of the day, he was around bad people. And, and unfortunately for him, it ended up with a, a prison sentence of uh, three years or served four. But let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing high quality boxing gloves, boxing equipment to your suitable needs. You can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, 
some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount. And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your basket. So please go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. So, he was arrested in July 1991 for the rape of 18-year-old Desiree Washington, who at the time was Miss Black Road Island, and it was in an Indianapolis hotel room. This has apparently had taken place. So... It was loads of different intricate details around this. So there was partial corroboration of Desiree Washington's story came via testimony from Tyson's chauffeur, Virginia Foster, who confirmed that Desiree Washington, state of shock after the incident, and further testimony came from Thomas Richardson in the emergency room, who was the physician who examined her more than 24 hours after the incident and confirmed that her physical condition was consistent with rape. So, as a result, he goes to court, and on March 26, 1992, he was sentenced to six years in prison, along with four years of probation, at the age of only 25, which is where a lot of people will argue the best years of his career were lost due to this. And as you rightly pointed out, his new amount of interviews that Tyson has touched on this subject before, about how he didn't treat women well, and there were situations where he wished he could have changed. But the one thing he's always stayed consistent with is that he never raped this woman. When I was falsely accused of raping that wretched swine of a woman, Desiree Washington, it was the most horrible time of my life. It was the most heinous day of my life because I going to prison, I lost my humanity. I lost my reputation. I lost everything that I worked so hard for. You know what I mean? Say that I was um, conducting myself as a little brat at that time and being um, promiscuous with the women. I done no such thing as um, took that woman's chastity at all. I have to be honest. I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a jerk sometimes, and I say things that sometimes crass and course, but um, I would never do nothing to that extent. And whatever I did, I may have took advantage of women before, but I never took advantage of her. I don't know what to say about that situation. Just basically took the whole life out of me in that situation. I never again trusted anyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm, I'm not here to judge on anything to do with, with, with rape or victims of rape. And I'm not here to, to pass any type of judgment on Tyson or justify anything because I will never know. You will never know. And the majority of the world will never really know what happened that night in that hotel room. However, for someone to vehemently deny the allegations and 
serve time for something that they say they didn't commit and still to this day say the same things they did 20 odd years ago to me indicates that you know there could be an element of lies going on in this whole story i mean you look at this day and age uh, there's been a lot of incidents in the the last 10 years where footballers have been accused of raping women and one case in particular quite recently with a footballer named ched evans was supposed to have raped a woman in a room and it actually turned out that this woman lied and she ended up being she was the one that ended up being convicted as a result and he got his conviction overturned after spending a little bit of time in prison for it so these things do happen now because of how mentally vulnerable mike tyson was and how easily led astray he was could this have happened back then yeah quite easily it could have happened back then he was the probably one of the most famous men on the planet at the time given what he'd been doing inside the ring how he was known for outside of the ring he was the man on everybody's lips he was the talking point obviously he loses to to buster douglas and it's a big shock and you know you hear all the controversy around that particular fight and it it could have quite easily been a case of they seeing a vulnerable person who they could exploit and you know there could have been even a potential that they was all in on it but then again this could have genuinely happened this girl could have been raped and it could have traumatized it for the rest of the life it's something that we will never know and never fully understand but from our perspective tyson was then jailed and not released until 1995 which is when don king got him out of prison and then got him to resume his boxing career yeah yeah he, was, he came back after his little stint as you say come back with it really after just three years um and yeah i'm with you you don't want to you don't know whether it was true or not we don't know but you know it's he, as I say, he, he was—he didn't surround himself with the best people. You wouldn't be surprised if people were in on it and making, making money off of him. He was a big star. No, he did come out eventually, um, and he came out and fought on uh, the 19th August 1995 against uh, Peter McNeely. Keep laughing, keep laughing. They'll feel funny, huh? If you go, if any one of you that doesn't respect me. Or what I'm doing or what I've been doing for the last three months since it's been announced. And going against a guy like this, you'd have a big dump in your pants. Talk to him, Peter. And I'll read, and I'll read my final statement. I'm Hurricane Peter McNeely from Medfield, Mass. On Saturday night, watch me kick Tyson's ass. But if you haven't made your pay-per-view arrangements yet, make them soon. Because remember what happens when I wrap you in my cocoon. And McNeely uh, disqualified after his manager entered the ring because obviously he was taking a beating. <laughs> um, so he came back and, uh, you know, in that creepy, um, the Bills called his back and it, it was just creeps me out because I was thinking, here's Johnny from The Shining. <laughs> you know, here's Tyson back in the ring. God, lock up your daughters type of thing. But um, yeah, Tyson obviously, he, he got rid of uh, Peter McNeely by disqualification as it, as it has on record. Um and then Buster Mathis Jr., Buster Mathis Jr., who was also a good fighter. He was always a bit of a porky fella, Buster Mathis Jr., but he could box a bit, you know. So uh, it, it, was, it was a good good, uh, good couple of victories for him um, when he knocked him out in the third round before moving on 
for taking on Frank Bruno. Yeah, just going back to the Peter McNeely fight as well, it was that much of an anticipated event, even though Peter McNeely had not really done anything of significance in his in his career. It actually grossed more than $96 million worldwide, including a United States record of $63 million for pay-per-view television. And the fight was purchased by 1.52 million homes, setting both pay-per-view viewership and revenue records. And that is absolutely immense. That's basically like... Tyson coming out of retirement to fight a journeyman, essentially. <laughs> and, and to get that sort of money for it is absolutely ludicrous. Um, it just goes to show you the power of the man, really. He became even more of a hot commodity, even though he'd been put in prison for something that is, is one of the most heinous crimes you know that, that can be committed in life. So for him to come out and then be able to get that sort of money straight away, you know, Don King knew what he was doing. Mr. Slippery makes another appearance on the podcast, ruining the career of one of the greatest heavyweights. Uh, what could have been the greatest heavyweight, arguably, on the planet, should he have not fell into the hands of guys like Don King. But he easily regained one of the world titles by beating Frank Bruno, as you said, in March 1996. And I remember it well because it was one of the first big major pay-per-view fights that I'd actually stayed up all night for. I was only at the age of 10 at this point, so it was a big thing staying up to watch a big fight like this, only for Frank Bruno, the hero, to get absolutely obliterated by Tyson and for Tyson to then obviously come back and be able to go and resume his career in the way he did. Now, in 1996, Lennox Lewis supposedly turned down a $13.5 million guarantee to fight Tyson at this point, which is something that is argued by Lewis because Lewis always said he wanted to fight Tyson earlier than when he actually did. So what happened was Lewis then accepted a $4 million step-aside money to allow Tyson to fight Bruce Selden. Uh, again, for an expected $30 million. So, if Tyson was to f- defeat Bruce Selden, he would then fight Lewis next. And that was the the way it was all worked out in the deals. So, Tyson then added the WBA belt by defeating Selden in the first round in September of 1996. And then was also talked about a bit of a throwback to when Sonny Liston seemingly looked like he threw the fight with Muhammad Ali because Bruce Selden was severely criticised and mocked in press because it looked like he collapsed from a few what looked like innocuous punches from Tyson. Yeah, it, it did seem it was a, it was a little bit of a... Uh, you, you, you do wonder, especially with, with Don King involved, with really, it would have given him a, a bit of a payoff to take a little dive um, to, to pave the way for, for the big fight. And make sure nothing happens. Obviously, could be thinking about the Buster Douglas fight, and probably thinks, "Well, you know, let's make sure he gets the win, and we can, we can get the Holy Four fight." But as you just was the other guy, he was the guy that was looking like he was gonna be fighting him. And then on the other side of things, some people say that he sidestepped the challenge of Lennox Lewis uh, for the WBA title because he opted for a more lucrative prospect of um, putting the WBA title on the line against Holyfield because it was more money involved so so maybe who knows it's a bit of both isn't it really did Lewis avoid him did Tyson sidestep him just for the more money maybe so I think probably that's a bit more reasonable where Tyson would have um, decided actually do you know what I'd rather fight Holyfield for, for more money he probably was given a, the, the, the figures in front of him you could fight Lewis for this much and you could fight Holyfield for this much and he probably thought well why not let's fight Holyfield and let's earn the money he obviously needed the money um, saying that he was earning a shitload of it um, because obviously the Evander Nathan fight was billed as finally it was a uh, 1.6 million pay-per-view buyers this one or, or, and it was shown on um, 
Showtime and King Vision again. But yeah, Holyfield, I mean, it's a great fight again. I mean, I mean, the, the funny thing is with this, as you say, with, with people, you know, spending the amount of money they, they you know, one one point six million buys against McNeely and then the same amount of pay-per-view buys for Holyfield. It's interesting because people weren't necessarily looking at Tyson anymore as this ferocious guy who's so intimidating in boxing. He's just going to just just get rid of a guy in no time and everyone wants to see that. I think it was also the fact that they weren't too sure what we was going to get from Tyson. So that was like the extra intrigue with it is what's he going to do next? Like, you know, in the weigh-in or the post-fight or pre-fight interviews, you don't know. You were expecting... Tyson to do something crazy outside the ring and I think that was where most of the public eye was looking at with Tyson and, and Evander Holyfield I think they felt that Evander Holyfield was shot um, and that's why they took that fight over Lewis um, and I think they felt that they would it'd be an easy night to work for him and boy were they wrong because Holyfield quite simply beat Mike Tyson up Mike Tyson is a warrior too and he's going to have he's still going to have that natural power that's the last thing that'll go Evander's got to be careful here to hold on but he has fought a perfect fight. No matter what happens from here on in, we are looking at a sports legend in the purple trunks, Evander Holyfield. Holyfield continues to dig in. A left hook to the head. He's got Tyson in trouble. Tyson's ready to go. A straight right hand. The Tauber stops the fight. And Holyfield has the I can't win. believe what I'm saying. It's the most unbelievable thing I've ever been privileged to witness. Mayhem. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, he broke his heart essentially, and the, 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 there's a lot of sort of speculation around that fight, which led to a second fight between these two, where Holyfield was 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 always known as a bit of a rough inside fighter, but there was a lot of instances where it looked like he was sort of butting Tyson in the fight, and as a result of that, obviously allegations were made from Tyson's camp of the frequent headbutts during the bout, although the headbutts were actually ruled as accidental by the referee, the, you know, Don King and the Tyson camp were saying, no, he was he was cheating to win, uh, and that's how he ended up getting the, the, the jump on Mike Tyson, so they would become a point of contention, which led to this subsequent rematch, and... For me, looking back on the first fight, it felt like Tyson just got overly frustrated the fact that Holyfield is a rough fighter and he can throw a few dirty tactics in here and there and he upset Tyson's rhythm and Tyson just couldn't get into any sort of rhythm, got frustrated and eventually went on to get stopped. But in the second fight, it was more evident that the frustration took over because of what happened in that particular fight. This was a big attraction. The second fight was billed even higher and grossed over $100 million. Tyson receiving 30 and Holyfield receiving 35. It was the highest paid professional boxing purses up until 2007. And it was purchased by 1.99 million households, setting a pay-per-view record. Again, up until the same date of May 5th, 2007, which was De La Hoya versus Mayweather. So this fight at this time become even more controversial, even more hyped, and it created one of the most controversial events in modern sports history. By, at the end of the third round, Tyson's getting really frustrated and decides, you know what, I'm just going to bite his ear. And he does, once, and then he does a second time and actually physically rips off a piece of Holyfield's ear, prompting the referee, Mills Lane, to disqualify Mike Tyson for biting and ripping off the ear of Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield now. A left hook. You know what's funny? Mike was having his best round. He did it again. He did it again. Mike Tyson has bitten Evander Holyfield for the second time and it is over. 
that one. That was right clear. It's a miracle he didn't get bit back. I'll tell you what, this is unbelievable. Let's, let's take two looks at that one, at that bite. Now, here's the bite. Keep, keep your eye on Mike. See, Mike has just, see, look at him. You can see it. You can see it. There it is. I can't believe what I'm seeing, fellas. They're going in real slow motion. Mike gets in a headlock. And look at this. He just reaches in and bites him. It's it's over. It's over. During that replay, Mills Lane signaling that it's over. I think they've just about had enough. Tyson showing desperation and fighting Holyfield two times. Ah, oh, just the famous bite fight. I mean, what on earth was going on his head? As you say, I mean, it, the first fight was a pretty much a one-sided beatdown from Holyfield, and in the second fight, again, was uh, was pretty much exactly the same. And, and I think for me, Tyson obviously thought when he said, you know what, there's no way I'm going to win this fight. And um, he, he did he quit? I mean, in a way, he probably did. He probably just looked for a way out, didn't he? He didn't want to just quit and say, no, I don't want no more part of this, or no, my sucker, Duran. Um, he was thinking, actually, how can I get out of this? And he decided to have a nibble on his ear. First, initially, it was a little nibble. Um, he got told off and warned with it. And then, obviously, the gun still comes out, and this time, he literally bites a chunk of his ear off. And, and the craziness of it was that people couldn't believe what it just done. Obviously, it was like a melee in the ring. Everyone's going mad. Like, what on earth is going on? You've got Holyfield holding his towel to his ear, pissing out with blood. You've got fights breaking out all around the arena because people obviously put money on this fight and they're losing money. And everyone's sort of reared up and highly energised. So there's fights breaking out in, in the arena, in the casinos, even outside. It was just chaos. I mean, it's still one of the most... I, I can't even tell you when I watched that. It just, it just, I can't believe that he's done it. It just shocks me. I, I don't think... It, I mean, we've seen it recently with Cash Alley biting Price. I mean, he didn't bite anything off, but he had a few nibbles in his chest, didn't he? And my goodness me, I mean, Tyson, when he does things, he does things for real. And, and I remember him walking to the ring. I remember seeing the images and, and everyone just lobbing stuff at Mike Tyson, like cups and stuff, as he's walking that long walk to the, back to the changing room. And, and even after the fight, there's stories as well where someone called him something and, and Tyson, you know, you now a bit mellow and tired. He was going again. He was trying to attack his geezer for saying something to him and he's got his on side holding him back. So, you know, it just shows you where Tyson was at that time. And, you know, he was, even though he could calm himself down, it was, you could, he was so on the edge where you could say one thing and he would go again. So, and, and as I say, as we've, quietly mentioned with people he surrounded himself with I don't think there was anyone there to put an arm around him and take Tyson mate what's going on settle down and just try and sort this out because that wasn't the people they were they don't, obviously they were enjoying it but um, absolutely madness never seen anything like it in the ring and, and credit to Holyfield he just literally just held his ears put the towel on and went off to the hospital to kick on you know Holyfield just a ledge mate absolutely nah. <laughs> yeah no this is the thing with Tyson he made so many controversial moments outside the ring but just as many inside the ring so after losing by disqualification to Evander Holyfield for a second time, he, he was out of the ring for two years. Come back in January 1999, beat Franz Bova, then had fights with Arlen Norris before coming in to the UK. And this was controversial because obviously Frank Warren had managed to broker a deal to get Tyson over to fight in Manchester against Julius Francis. Now, initially, he was denied uh, a visa to come over, but eventually they managed to get that period of time where they got him over. And that was great for British fans because obviously the British 
British fans that love Tyson wanted to see him. So <laughs> it, it was two it was two fights that he took place in in 2000. The first one was in January, staged at the Amiens Arena against Julius Francis. Obviously, they managed to get him into the country. Frank Warren had brokered that deal, and he only took four minutes to knock out Francis, ending the bout in the second round. He then also fought Lou Savarese in June of 2000 in Glasgow, winning in the first round. That fight only lasted 38 seconds. But again, controversy follows Tyson wherever he goes. He carried on punching after the bell after the referee had stopped the fight and the referee was in the middle of the, of them stopping the fight and Car- Tyson's just carrying on throwing digs and he ends up knocking the referee to the floor and it's just more absolute crazy moments again from Tyson again it's just this is just Mike Tyson all over this period of time you know mentally unstable and just wanted to, to hit and hurt anything he could get a hold of yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, and I mean the other thing as well with, uh, w- when he went on to fight um, Andrew Galotta as well I mean that fight was actually originally uh, retired winter Tyson but later ruled a no contest after he tested positive for cannabis which is which is actually quite funny considering what he's currently doing at the moment where he's uh, he, he's, he's, he's like a, the face of cannabis at the moment in America in terms of you know, he's earning a mint from it, to be fair to him. But, um, yeah, so, uh, to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with Mike Tyson having a joint, I'll tell you that, because if he if he did, there's one thing that it might actually settle him down a little bit. Maybe he needed that. Maybe whoever gave him that first joint after sort of having a munching on Holyfield Zill here must have uh, must have settled him down. But then, obviously, not quite, because he still has that temper. So, I think, to be fair to him, I think uh, it's not a bad idea for him to be having a dabble in cannabis, because I do think it's... It makes him much more mellow, that's for sure. <laughs> so, after this particular point then against Galotta, we move on and he's calling Lennox Lewis out in, in obviously, uh, what was one of the most controversial post-fight interviews ever uh, after beating Lou Savarese. I only trained probably two weeks or three weeks for this fight. I had to bury my best friend and I dedicated this fight. I wasn't going to fight, I dedicated this fight to him. I was going to rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lynx is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. Praise be to Allah. That was another... I, I like to say it's great, but it's, it is great and it's not because it gives you memories where you just laugh and think about how Tyson just said this shit, you know, in post-fight interviews. But it's memorable. It's memorable for us as fans, the moment when he was speaking about Lennox Lewis and how he was he was Jack Dempsey uh, and he was Sonny Liston all rolled into one and there's nobody who can match him and, uh, you know, he was going to eat Lennox's kids and it was just absolutely mental. And he was wanting this fight with, with Lennox Lewis and you know there's a reason why he wanted to fight with Lennox Lewis at this point of his career is because he wanted money let's be honest he could they could have fought each other six years before they eventually signed to fight each other for June 2002 another significant moment and we've covered this particular incident off on the best boxing brawls episode if you've not checked that out go and check it out brilliant episode and it was the moment where it was big 
big hype for this fight. It had been, you know, six years, seven years too late, I suppose. But we all wanted to see it. It was happening. They get on the podiums across the opposite stage from each other. Tyson goes storming over, starts throwing punches, ends up getting Lewis to the floor, bites Lewis in the leg. It's just absolutely manic. And then after all that had ensued, he's kicking off with the uh, with the journalist who was shouting about him going in the straight jacket. And it's just absolutely crazy. One of the craziest press pressers and advertisements for fights you've ever seen. Yeah. Oh God. And, and even with the uh, journalist shouting with, with a punk ass white boy, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck you till you love me. That, that is just still one thing that. Jeez, uh, man, that, that shit gives me nightmares thinking about my life <laughs> to me. That geezer did not say well that night, and um, even then he had, he had a nibble on Lewis Ending, the only leg, but his leg as well. So obviously, maybe didn't need a straight jacket, but I think he needed his, uh, he needed a Hannibal Lecter mask as well because. Uh, he was just off his head together. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a big fight. I mean, I remember it sort of it, the nights before and I see friends and going through it with my pal and we, we was, uh, he was a bit taller than me and I, I, I was trying to demonstrate how Lewis is going to win this fight. He's going to keep him in his jab and then he said, no, but you can get underneath him. And, but, you know, it, it was just, it just it got that talk. Everybody was talking about it again. It was, you know, it was a big fight. It was a huge fight. And it was still, people still felt that Tyson had something left and he could he could get rid of Lewis. And I think Lewis that night proved to everybody that he was the king of the heavyweight division at that time. And um, he finally did beat Mike Tyson. Um, and, and obviously Tyson, you know, was he, he, I, I don't think he was anywhere near his peak. Lewis will say that he is. It, it would have been interesting to have seen them two in their peaks if it had been a few years earlier, because I think it would have been a different story. But... And another good fight and a good win for Lewis. And, and at the end of the day, Tyson, he made himself a nice few million from that fight as well. He certainly did. It was it was a great, like I say, great event. The whole dual announcement of it, the security guys all across the ring separating him so there wasn't any scuffles that would have ensued literally in the ring before the fight took place. But the fight itself was, was one of Tyson trying to come out early to blast Lewis away. And Lewis, at this point, was in his, was in his element. It was in his peak. This was sort of the best Lewis and he was able to dispatch of Mike Tyson uh, quite handily within seven, eight rounds of the fight. And then Tyson would then go on to carry on his career for a little bit longer. But during the midst of that, he was filing for bankruptcy as well at the time. So as a result of that, he needed money desperately, which is a lot of the reasons why a lot of fighters do end up continuing on the career past the best. Now, in August of that year, well, August of 2003, after years of the financial struggles that he'd suffered, he actually filed for bankruptcy. And on August the 13th, 2003, he entered the ring for a face-to-face confrontation against the K1 fighting phenom, 
Bob Sapp. Immediately after Sapp had just been in the ring and beat Kimo Leopoldo in Las Vegas. So K1 had signed Tyson to a contract with the hopes of making a fight between the two. But because of obviously Tyson's felony history, it was impossible for him to gain a visa to fight in Japan, where the fight would have been the most profitable. So as a result, after discussing alternative locations, the fight ultimately failed to happen, which is crazy to think about. And it's something I never even knew about. And I don't even remember this from around that period of time that actually Tyson was going to sign to fight in K1, which for anybody who doesn't know what K1 is, it's, it's kickboxing. It's a kickboxing. It's like, you know, you have UFC mixed martial arts. K1 is kickboxing specifically so Mike Tyson was going to be involved potentially in a kickboxing bout but this is a sad state of affairs really because this is the point where he needs to earn as much money as he possibly can so he's trying to get as much money as he can because of all the debts and the shit he's been left with over the years because of the poor choices made and the poor team that he had around him so he decides then to get back in the ring once again on July 30th 2004 he comes in against British boxer very own Danny Williams in another comeback fight which was staged in Kentucky in what was another big upset and another big upset for a British fighter on the roads because nobody expected Danny Williams to actually go in there and do anything because Tyson was dominant in the early exchanges and then when Tyson started to get through on Williams you're thinking this is going to be another easy night but Tyson was stopped he was stopped in the fourth round by Danny Williams but that was because his leg went now he, he ended up fighting on one leg for that fourth round because he'd torn a ligament in his knee in the first round so nobody had knew that he'd actually fucked his knee up in the first round and he'd actually managed to go through three other rounds before being stopped by Danny Williams which was uh, for British fans it was huge because nobody expected a journeyman like Danny Williams to go in there uh, and stop a guy like Mike Tyson for Danny Williams that would ultimately lead to a fight with Vitaly Klitschko in which he got soundly beaten by Klitschko but that was a big moment in his career and for Tyson at this point of his career it was a sad state of affairs it was all about the money he had one more final fight losing to Kevin McBride in 2005 yeah it was uh, it was a pretty sad end because he, he basically retired didn't he in that fight he, he gave up in the sixth round um, and then ended up retiring from the sport altogether and it was all money motivated that's all it was at this point after the Lennox Lewis fight you'd have thought he'd have earned enough money win or lose maybe if he if he could maybe get a rematch along the line of Lewis he earned himself a bit more but you know he, he came back he, you know, he, as you say he had those last three fights one of the it's a surprise, a surprise victory for me. I mean, who would have expected Danny Williams to win that fight? With his knee win or not, I mean, that is, that is a big upset and a huge achievement for Danny. And obviously, as you say, Klitschko dealt with Danny after that. But yeah, Tyson, that, that, that was basically after the McBride fight, that was it. Um, he called it a day on June 11, 2005. Um, and I mean, when you look back on his career, I mean, what, what an incredible fighter he was, especially in those early days, in those peak days. Um, and then obviously... He, went into to an absolute abyss midway through it, um, sort of came back, to be fair to him, and won world titles once again. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he'd always just, for me, he'd always just be known as just this ferocious, terrifying guy in the ring who just absolutely demolished any opponent that stepped in front of him. Um, and it was literally, you know, as I get older and, and you start reading more about Tyson, and that's when you realise that it was his life that really impacted on, on his career. I mean, everyone, everyone on my road who lived in and around my area, everybody had a Mike Tyson VHS indoors 
for the, for the youngsters that is a video tape an old video tape um, and uh, it was always great to watch his fights and that was how I always I think from, from a young age I always knew about Mike Tyson obviously I was, I was a Frank Bruno you know I loved Bruno he was my, he was my guy and I always wanted Bruno to beat Tyson never happened but Mike Tyson was just a, a great fighter and you just wonder if um, if Cuss had survived a bit longer or he, or he had if Tyson was born a bit later I don't know if, if there was any way that Cuss could have managed to been around Tyson to be able to nurture him when he became heavyweight champion because that was the problem when he became that superstar and you just had too many people around him. And he just wasn't educated enough to work out who the good people were and who the bad people were. And I'm sure now today, I mean, I don't listen to his podcast. I should probably listen to his podcast because he is a great, you know, he was one of the best fighters in the heavyweight era. In any era, I think he would have, he could have beaten anybody. We just don't know. And we look back and we can say he could beat this guy and that guy. But he was a great, great fighter in his day. And like you say, that that, Top, top of top of his career was a Sphinx fight, but a great. I mean, like, career profiles when it comes to doing someone like Mike Tyson, it's just it's, it's just so much information, and I'm sure there's plenty with Mitchell, but. Well, what a great career profile to do. Well, in terms of his legacy then, in 1998, a ranking of the greatest heavyweights of all time by The Ring magazine placed Tyson at number 14 on the list. Despite criticism of facing underwhelming composition during his run as champion, Tyson's knockout power and intimidation factor made him the sport's most dynamic box office draw. So... You know, that's true. I don't know. That was 1998's ranking. I don't know what the rankings are now and, and where people would place him at. But in terms of most fan versions of top 10s or top 20s, Tyson is, is always in there. Some people is in the top 10. For some people, he doesn't make the top 10. It's very subjective. It's a very subjective list. But for me personally, the impact he had on the sport during that period of time and for, for what he did in terms of unifying a division in that period of time... For me, he has to be in the top 10, and that is just my personal opinion. Again, subjective people will sit there and debate different facts till the till the cows come home with this, but for me, for what he did at that period of time, unifying a heavyweight division, beating who was put in front of him at that time, which were the best fighters, beating guys like Michael Spinks, who was undefeated, he was a former light heavyweight champion, you know, beating all the guys that he could beat at the time, and... It was more the outside life that spoiled his career. It's very well documented about everything that happened outside of the ring made a huge impact on what he did inside of the ring. And our first career profile was about Muhammad Ali and about the significant things he did outside of the ring in contrast to the way Tyson's life went outside of the ring. It just goes to show you what a, a difference, good management, a good team around you and good people around you can make to a career of a fighter because of the way Muhammad Ali is always remembered against how Mike Tyson is always remembered and for me that is the biggest comparison to make when it comes to looking at Tyson as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time it's a shoulda woulda coulda situation with Mike Tyson he could have been the greatest heavyweight of all time but will always go down as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time and in some people's minds doesn't even make the top 10 but his life after boxing has actually been nice to see 
Now, he's actually come out of the other side of all the shit he's had to put up with during his career. He's had various incidents, obviously, where he's been arrested, and he's had little bits of time where he's obviously struggled to pay the bills, of course. There was one period of time where he actually came back to come and pay his debts off, so he returned to the ring in 2006 for a series of four-round exhibition bouts against journeyman heavyweight Corey Sanders, and Tyson didn't actually wear any headgear, but Corey Sanders did, and he's been involved in some little exhibition bouts I've seen him in these charity things with people like, uh, I think, I don't know who it was, Shaquille O'Neal or a basketball player. I know he was involved in like a little exhibition with one of them as well. And he, he was just doing what he needed to do to pay the bills. But I think what was more significant for me was when they brought the Tyson documentary out in around 2012. Uh, when they did that documentary about him and about his life and about him, we got to see more of an insight to what Mike Tyson is like today, the mentality, the, the, the realisation of how things have been really fucked up in his life in compared to what other people have had given to them on a plate. And then when he went on his undisputed tour, it was just nice to see that he turned his life around completely. And as you talked about at the start of the episode, Johnston, the fact that you know he's now gone on to open this cannabis farm and he's got this whole you know podcast going on, and there's so many different avenues of, of revenue for him now that it seems like he obviously you know is is things have gone a lot better for him in his life. And and obviously you know he had children. He's got quite a few children, uh, seven of them in particular. Unfortunately. Uh, you you know, I've got to touch on it, but one of them unfortunately passed away in a tragic accident at his home where, involving gym equipment. And when you watch the video of him talking about the passing of his daughter, it's it's so hard to watch. It's so emotional. Anyone that's got children will, will totally relate to that. And anyone that hasn't, anyone who's human will can totally relate to a man in pain. And, you know, one of the, the baddest men on the planet brought to tears by something that's so traumatic that's happened in his, in his life. This is my best thinking at the time. Get my gun, automatic, just like this, and you just go crazy. Who are you gonna? Who are you gonna hurt? Regardless, that's just my first thought. But when I went to the hospital, the people that were there was—they're up there because their kids are dead too, mm-hmm. or, or about to die. Mm-hmm. So, who the hell am I? Their kids are dying too. I don't know. No. It's, um, something happened that day. I don't know what happened that day. But whatever happened that day, was there a new Mike Tyson that came the next day? Um, no, I did some cocaine for a week. I had to get high. I had to back then. I had to get high. Um, I couldn't handle it at all. You have to go. No, you understand, right? Thank you. But it's good to see where he is now in his life. I, I'm really happy, you know, as a fight fan, first and foremost, that he's actually been able to turn it around. And as fans now in this day and age, we're getting the benefit of hearing all these stories. We're getting the benefit of hearing everything from him because this could have quite easily gone a completely different route and we could have ended up talking about Tyson as someone that ended up passing away due to a drug overdose or something that could end up leading on to suicide. Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that happen happen in the world that can lead on to things like this and everything that Tyson's been through for him to come out the other side of it the way he has for me uh, has been an absolute pleasure to see definitely definitely and I think I think um, him sort of uh, investing in the cannabis farm in America at the minute I think that's that's a great move from him because he's going to earn an absolute fortune it's big business out there um, and that, that has 
that was um, that was a great move for him. Um, I don't know if that was something he thought of himself or if he was advised to do it because that's going to earn him a lot of money and st- stable money as well. And the last thing you want is these guys to be in a situation where having all these millions and all of a sudden just it all going and then they just you know they, they're potless and you know they end up going through some some craziness in their lives and doing stupid things. Um, thankfully. He's obviously got older, he's got more mature, he's got wiser. Um, you know, he, he speaks a lot about his, you know, from from what from the bits I've seen in his documentary and, and other bits and bobs that you get to listen to. Um, is that, you know, he, he's quite happy to speak about his career and he's quite open about the things that has happened to him. Um, people ask him a question and he will respond. Um, I think it was one incident that where someone in a, in a chat show asked him something and he didn't like it. <laughs> and, uh, and he basically, the guy, he basically was going to say he's going to punch him up or something. He's going to hit him if he keeps asking him and he just didn't know what to do with this interview. Just, just one funny thing. It's just that side of Tyson. It's, it's always there, isn't it? You can quite easily snap. But, um, yeah, I mean, recently we've not heard we've not heard too many bad things about Tyson, which is good. We used to hear it all the time, but growing up there was always something happening. Mike Tyson, he'd be on the news at some point, him doing something crazy. So it's good that he's obviously he's got a family and and, and uh, he's able to maybe maybe just having a podcast and being able to speak and people listen. I think that's probably good therapy for him. And and, and as I say, if he's partial to a, a joint or two, that's not a bad thing because that'll mellow him out anyway. So. Um, Mike Tyson, I mean, what, what, as you say, I, I wouldn't put him, I'd put him in my top 10, I would, or heavyweight greats, I probably would. Um, I think the one thing that sort of, the fact that he lost his titles and, you know, he did come back and he did win back, but, you know, it, I don't know, it, it wasn't quite up there with the Ali or like a Joe Lewis for me. I, I think those, they're, they're just a level above um, slightly. Um, even Larry Holmes, I mean, you know, I know he distracted Larry Holmes. It's difficult to say that he, would he finish above Larry if he was going to do your time greatest list. Jack Johnson, for instance, I mean, that guy would go ahead of him. So, but definitely in the top 10, Mike Tyson, if not pushing the top five, but a great fighter. Um, obviously it's not his fault that he was, you know, he was, the pool wasn't deep. No, there were still some brilliant names in, on his resume, but, you know, unfortunately, was that he didn't have that massive marking name. Um, the two fights obviously losing to twice to Holyfield and then Lewis. If he'd have won one of them, maybe you could have pushed him up. But, you know, by then, the prison sentence killed him and Don King killed him. And that's why I've got no respect for him. He's a young kid, Tyson, and he was influenced by the people around him. He just needed better guidance and he could have become the greatest ever, greatest ever heavyweight champion. Absolutely. But it's great to hear after after the aftermath is that he's doing well and I hope it continues, basically. And again, it's just, just a, a great, a great career profile. And thanks to the listeners and the people that voted because, you know, it's been a pleasure doing it. It certainly has been a pleasure for doing it. And thank you for everybody that did take part in the vote. It got over 400 votes. It was a really, really good vote. It was really chuffed to see the reaction to, to this particular poll. So thank you very much for that. And as I said at the top of the show, Ernie Shavers will go in there at some point, of course. This was a hard-hitting heavyweight one. But Ernie Shavers obviously deserves one in his own right and he'll get one at some point down the line. So thank you to everybody that's listened to this episode. I hope you've really thoroughly enjoyed our take on the career profile of Mike Tyson. If you have, let us know at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. If you've not already subscribed to us, please go and do so on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, even Spotify. If you've not already rated us, please go and do it because it significantly helps us get up the rankings in particular in the Apple Podcast rankings chart, it helps us get up there, it helps us get the exposure to the mainstream audience to see all the quality 
quality work that comes out of what we do on a regular basis so thank you very much to everybody we'll hope you've enjoyed this episode of career profiles the career profile of the baddest man on the planet mike tyson Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.